This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. This is part two of our conversation on palliative care with clinical associate professor Alethea Yi, a senior consultant at the Division of Supportive and Palliative Care at the National Cancer Centre of Singapore. She was the head of the division before she was seconded to RCC Hospice to be the clinical director in 2018. In this episode, we will look at what can be done to support the care of a person facing the end of life who wants to die at home, as well as some of the challenges in the palliative care sector. So hi, Dr. Yi. Singapore is boosting support for palliative care to enable more end-of-life patients to die in the comfort of their own homes instead of in a hospital bed. So what do you think can be done to help more patients die at home if they so wish to? Yeah, actually what Minister Ong said is very true. In 2014, a survey by the Lian Foundation interviewed about 1,000 over Singaporeans and 70% wants to be cared for at home if they're dying and 74% prefers to die away at home. And But in reality, only 25% passed away at home with majority passing away in the acute hospitals. So if we really want to achieve more home deaths, which is what majority of Singaporeans want, right? We need to enable and empower families to care for their dying loved ones at home. But to do that, uh, the stars and the moon have to align. And that would include care coordination across settings, easy availability information for you know, to empower the caregivers, uh, relevant funding streams, capability and capacity of the home care teams that will go and support them. And not just home care teams, you know, community services, social services. Um, all these have to play a part. And I think that's the thing, you know, dying has been for a long time medicalized as though it is a responsibility of the doctors or the healthcare team. But actually, dying uh, for years ago, 100 years ago, is a community responsibility. It's a social thing, right? They die with the support of the communities in the kampongs or wherever, right? And we kind of move dying into a medical model. And I think if we really want to enable home death, we really have to bring dying back to the community where there's what a concept of what they call compassionate society, where society together has to embrace the idea that it's a societal responsibility, you know. It's not just the doctors or the healthcare workers' responsibility, even though we play a significant part. So social services and volunteers, all that, that kind of thinking needs to come in. And wasn't it Mark Gandhi who actually said that the true measure of any society can be found in how it treats its most vulnerable members. And I think nothing can be more vulnerable than dying. That would require a big mindset shift, wouldn't it? Yes. So it's a societal thing as well. It cannot just be limited to a healthcare problem. Society itself has to have to see it that way. Uh, because now there's a lot... And I can understand it because with so many medical advances, right? Personally, if I'm the patient, I wouldn't know when to stop which treatment, if you ask me, because there's just so many possibilities. And if society adopts a cure-me-at-all-costs mentality, then we'll never, never recognize dying as a societal responsibility. Well, that sounds like something that's very difficult to change. It is difficult on one level, but I think it's something that we need to have open conversations about as a society. At some point, um, when is treatment enough? And it's an individual decision, obviously. And we really, as individuals, have to weigh the pros and cons of treatment and the, the 
benefits and risks. And I think it's about conversations. It's really about what we're calling it nowadays. We call it serious illness conversations that must happen along the illness journey between patients, families, and the healthcare providers. We've got to have these serious illness conversations so that decisions can be made along the way um, that's aligned to the priorities and the values of the patients at different time points. Then we end up less with people opting for treatment when actually treatment is not appropriate at that point in their illness journey. I see. So it's back to the mindset shift that we spoke about earlier. Yes, yes. And I think we need to shift together as a society to embrace the idea of serious illness conversations. Um, and the healthcare community has to shift as well and be willing to engage in that. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Alitia Yi, a senior consultant at the Division of Supportive and Palliative Care at the National Cancer Singapore and the clinical director of ACC Hospice. So, Dr. Yi, HCA Hospice officially opened its uh, day hospice centre, Oasis at Outram, last month. And RCC Hospice and Dover Park Hospice also run daycare centres. So, tell us who can benefit from such services. Uh, day hospice is wonderful in the sense that, you know, in the serious illness journey, there are some people who actually deteriorate very slowly, but they're still deteriorating nevertheless, but it's very slow. And actually, they can actually engage in a lot of social activities. And so day hospice is really, really great for them. And, but at the same time, they are not quite suitable for the usual daycare because as they're deteriorating, they, they end up with a lot of physical issues, a lot of other problems. And so day hospice has the kind of skill sets to support them as they are deteriorating, as well as providing them the social engagement. Pain and physical symptoms management. Also, psychosocial support needs to intensify as things get worse. Yeah, and conversations with their families as well. And understanding the illness, because when I talk about serious illness, I did say in the beginning there are many types of serious illness and being able to understand those and manage those medically is also not easy. And, and so not all daycare wants to do that. So this sounds like early palliative care, right? But are people generally receptive to the idea? I mean, do you think that more day hospice centres will be set up in the future? Yes, definitely day hospice is a form of early palliative care. But the point is, I realise a lot of patients don't want to come. <laughs> a lot of patients want to say, I'll just stay at home. <laughs> yeah, but I find a lot of my patients, uh, even though we try to cajole them, coax them, persuade them, uh, they're just, a lot of them pretty contented to stay at home. <laughs> And some I can understand because they have good home support. But some, even the loneliness, takes a while to persuade them to come. Maybe they, they don't see value in it. And sometimes people see value only in something they have experienced. So that's why we always try to just come for one day, just try one day, you know. I think often people don't see value in what they have not experienced. It's really how to help them live well, right? And by the time they leave, look, it's really... If it's time for them to leave between you and me, there's nothing I can do to stop it. So really, our goal is focus on how do we help you live well. Whether you accept or not is immaterial to us. To be honest, I think everyone has different reasons. Some, it's really because they have, they're actually quite contented to be at home. They have their own routine, right, in their home setting in the community. So they don't want to break that routine. Sometimes it's because they do have enough support at home and they don't need to come out. 
uh, sometimes it's because they're still having a lot of treatment in the hospitals and they, they find it too tiring to go to another place. So there are many, many reasons. Uh, but what we have found that for those who actually come and stay, they love it. <laughs> and they don't, want to, they don't want to leave after that. Dr. E, tell us about the challenges as well as some of the changes in the palliative care sector in Singapore. The biggest challenge is really like the rest of healthcare manpower, seriously manpower, and uh, especially for nurses. And you know, this is the kind of work you cannot replace with robot. Eh? <laughs> so finding the right uh, healthcare professional, the right attitude and attitude remains our biggest challenge. And the other challenge, like I said, is getting the doctors to recognize the needs of the patient and refer them to at the relevant time. And then what are some of the changes in this sector? I, I must say MOH has been very supportive. Like, I'm really grateful to Minister Ong when he actually mentioned end-of-life care as one of the priorities in the MOH work plan this year. So very, very grateful to him because now the spotlight is on palliative care. And um, MOH is really trying to find ways to enable and empower the sector to enable patients to die at home that if they so wish. One of the things that's recent changed since April 2020 um, by MOH is that they actually allowed MediShield Plus to cover inpatient hospice charges. And that's made a whole lot of difference because it reduces the out-of-pocket payment for many patients. You know, patients spend a lot uh, of money uh, in their illness journey. And by the time they come to the last leg of their life, they don't really want to spend anymore. Or they don't have very much to spend on their on their illness. So it's so important that patients with serious illness who are in the last leg of their journey uh, don't feel that they cannot have the care that they need because they can't pay for it. I think that's so important. And so ministry has tried to do that by allowing MediShield coverage. And I know MOH is continuing looking at how to improve funding across all the services. But I still feel very strongly that if patients with serious illness transits all care settings, whether it's acute hospitals, you know, community setting, polyclinic, GPs and whatever, we really have to engage every single healthcare worker um, to be able to meet those needs at different time points and not just expect the palliative care teams to do it. I think that's, that's the challenge to, to really train everyone uh, to do that. If we're going to have a compassionate society, we need, we need a society that's willing to volunteer uh, their time and their care and their time and effort. So, so in fact, hospices have volunteers. So, and as a society, if we have people who are willing to volunteer their time, that will also help them power. Of course, they can't do the doctoring bit, but they, they can do the other bits that doesn't need the skills of a doctor or a nurse, you know. They, they can do the befriending bit. They can do the, there are many, many ways to be volunteers which I won't go into. There are volunteers like, uh, like HCA has started one in which the nurses, the home care nurses, teach the volunteers how to do nursing care. Let's end with the one thing you want to tell people about palliative care. Uh, don't be afraid of the term palliative care. Don't think it signifies giving up hope. It's really not giving up hope. There's always hope. It's just what you're hoping for. Thank you so much, Dr. Yi. Okay, thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below.
That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.